0: hand. Heavenly Father, uh, as we come into uh, your word today, uh, under your word, we pray that uh, through the Apostles Paul's uh, letter to the Romans, um, written so long ago, we know that it's Uh, wonderfully relevant for us today and we pray that uh, you would uh, really speak to our hearts um, by your spirit uh, give us ears to hear uh, what you have to say for us today um, that we may be transformed to be um, people that are not only at peace with you through the blood of Jesus but at peace uh, with one another loving one another as you have loved us so we pray that you would um, uh, change us for your glory through your word today in Jesus name amen.
1: Just reading from Romans chapter 14, verse 13 to the end. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean of it in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep them between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin.
0: Uh, Well you may know the scene friends, you may know this scene Uh, if you were watching movies in the 90s, uh, a group of, um, uh, uh, a rabble really, a rabble of Scottish warriors uh, gathered on the moor with one man out the front of them on his horse, getting them ready for the fight of their life and he cries out that they may take our lives but they will never take our Thank you, freedom, freedom. Of course, the, if you're familiar, the movie is Brave Hearts, and as a kind of a far distant Scot, it kind of pulls my heartstrings. But there's it, it kind of is something that characterises a bit of the spirit of our age, doesn't it? This idea of freedom, this this deep desire that runs through human hearts, through human cultures their desire for freedom, this desire to be liberated from oppression. Uh, there's a problem with freedom, though, isn't there? There's a problem with this idea of freedom. How is it that people who are free, who claim their own freedom from all oppressors, how is it that people who are free can live together? If you've got all different people who are themselves free, how is it that they can live together there's a bit I think there's a bit of a dark side to this kind of trend there's be some slides coming up the first one a quote from the famous Muhammad Ali I know where I'm going and I know the truth and I don't want to have to, I don't want to be what you want me to be I'm free to be what I want I'm free to be what I want uh, I, again that, that's kind of I think something that captures something of the The kind of spirit of our age, doesn't it? This idea that I'm free to be what I I want. Another one, uh, not too difficult to find these, they call them memes on the internet, these kind of um, sayings that get shared around, it's your life, don't let anyone make you feel guilty for living it your way. That's what freedom means, right? Don't make anyone feel you guilty for for living it your way, it's your life. Or more, perhaps, you know, more um, crudely, And simply, don't let idiots ruin your day. It's your life, it's your day, don't let anyone get in the way, you're free. Well, the freedom of this world, the freedom that kind of lies behind these kinds of, this kind of spirit that's captured there, uh, is a kind of freedom for yourself, right? Freedom from slavery to others, uh, to a kind of, In the end, kind of a slavery to yourself, a kind of freedom to live under your own lordship. The problem is that we make very poor lords of ourselves. We make very poor masters. Our sin and self-centeredness mean it's probably... Well, There was one um, author, one novelist, who wrote a famous line who said, Hell is other people. (laughs) This was his... uh, Can you imagine a room full of... Free people who are saying this to each other. That might be perhaps a bit of a good description of what hell might be like, mightn't it? Well, friends, the Christian gospel speaks uniquely into this desire that we have for freedom. It speaks uniquely into this desire that we have in Christ. And we've read it if you've been with us as we've read through Romans, we've had this most incredible Huge, glorious description of the freedom that is ours through Jesus. We are wonderfully free. We are free from the world's true tyrants. Mel Gibson thinks the English tyrants were bad. Well, actually, the freedom that we have in Christ is far better than the English overlords that the Scots overthrew. The world's great enemies. Jesus frees us from the power and the penalty of sin and of death from that great deceiver, the devil. It is the great liberation. The gospel that we've read up to this point in Romans is kind of the ultimate freedom story, actually, this great liberation that we have. Uh, but what's critical is that uh, as uh, the, Paul, the apostle Paul and, and God through him, uh, Paul doesn't see... Us just kind of being free and then let loose to do our own thing, to live however we like, however pleases us. We're not just freed from something, we're freed into something. We're freed for something. Uh, we kind of captured this a little bit last week in verse 7 of chapter 14. Sorry, two weeks ago. Uh, last week we had a bit of a break, but two weeks ago, verse 7 of chapter 14. If you have your Bibles open, you can see it there. Paul writes, None of us lives for ourselves alone. None of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. That is the freedom that we are brought into in, through Jesus. Freedom from slavery to sin and evil and death into being brought into the kingdom of God, owned by Him, servants of the one true God. Well, as as we are in Romans here in chapter 14, we're kind of in the middle of a particular issue that uh, the Roman church is facing, the the church gathered uh, in the city of Rome. uh, We're in the middle of a particular issue. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, it'll be familiar for you, hopefully, but just to fill you in if you weren't here, um, we talked about, the next slide should have a bit of a donut. We talked about this donut of... Uh, truth, Christian truth, I guess you might say. Uh, right, right around the outside, you've got these matters of preference, things that really don't make any difference. And it, it's just a tragedy when we get caught up about them. They're just simply a matter of preference. Uh, right in the middle, though, there's this, uh, this core reality of the core truths of the gospel that Paul fights for and he wants us to fight for. That we, They're indisputable matters. But there's this third category, the donut in the middle, uh, of what Paul calls disputable matters. They're, they're not core. They're, they're not kind of... You, you don't have to hold these particular views about these things in order to be part of God's kingdom. They're not sort of core Christianity. But they're not just issues of preference either. They're real kind of issues. They have real theological um, answers to them and arguments about them. Uh, real theological issues. And they have right or wrong ar- answers. But they're not central. They're not central. That's the key. Uh, Paul gives a lot of space to it. It's interesting to see as you read through Paul's letters what he gives a lot of space to. He gives a lot of space to this issue in his his letter. Uh, He knows it's a major problem, potentially, and probably at the moment is when he's writing, a major problem for this church. And it's all connected to this issue of freedom, Freedom. The church, again, sort of a bit of a recap, but if you weren't here, ho- hopefully this will help. The church had, it seemed like there were two groups appearing within the church. Uh, what uh, one group Paul calls the strong and one group Paul calls the weak. The issues seem to have arisen about uh, the Jewish customs, the Jewish kind of way of life uh, through, under the Old Testament law, rules about what you can and can't eat, special Sabbath days, festivals, uh, that the Jewish Christians within the church, those who had been part of the story of Israel and but had seen Jesus as their Messiah and had come to faith in Christ, the Jewish Christians still held on to these customs and this way of life. Um, so uh, uh, Some were so scrupulous that they, cho- they chose not to meet, eat any meat at all. We kind of saw that last week. They said, because the Jewish uh, law had pretty strict sort of laws and guidelines about what you could eat. They said, well, we just won't even go near there, especially we're not sure where the meat we might be eating has come from, so we just not eat any meat at all. Uh, Meanwhile, there were others in the church. Uh, There were probably non-Jewish Christians who had just been living their normal lives uh, uh, not connected to Christ, not connected to Israel, the story of God through Israel at all, but other Christians who'd who'd come to faith in Christ and they didn't have any of that. They didn't have that background uh, with the Old Testament law. They just they came to Christ, they, you know, they knew they were free in Christ and they didn't have any pangs of conscience about whatever they ate. Uh, every day was just another day to them. They didn't have a category of, kind of this, what, what, what structured the Jewish life about the rhythms of life and special days and celebrations. The Gentile Christians didn't kind of hold to that. Uh, and the thing is, we're going to find out as we read through this passage. Those guys, the, what Paul, who Paul says, are strong. Uh, the ones that weren't really uh, um, caught up about following those customs that they'd been brought up with. Paul says they're actually right. Uh, they're actually right. They were. They were. They were actually free, uh, and they were right to be free. The, the The issue Paul has with them, though, is even though. From a theological perspective, they might have been right. They were not living in love. They were not living in love. And it was wreaking havoc in this church. We read last week the strong, the strong group were despising the weak ones, and the weak ones were judging the strong ones, and it was a major issue. We saw, again, just a quick, still recapping, we saw a couple of weeks ago, Paul starts his answer to this. He says, how are you going to fight off this? What are you going to do about this issue? He says, the key thing for you is to understand your identity, who you are, who you are in Christ. Understand who you are. You have been welcomed by God. So what right have you got not to welcome each other? Uh, You are not just free to live in whatever way you want, you belong to one Lord. You belong to Jesus. And you will stand before him as your judge. So Paul goes on in verse 13, where we're picking up in, to kind of recap those first verses. Verse 13, Therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. Uh, and he goes on the rest of this passage, he kind of gets, in, gets a bit more detail about some nitty-gritty practical Advice for this church, who's facing these struggles, these tensions within them, within themselves. What you've got on your outline there is some black and white advice for the grey areas of life. I'm going to read the, the verse 13 though. It should be up on the screen. Paul says, "Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on each other. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister." Um, if you grew up in a family with brothers and sisters, perhaps it was you know, a, a kind of fun pastime to put obstacles in their way, <laughs> stumbling blocks, maybe as they're walking down the corridor, stick out a leg or throw out a beanbag or something. Maybe that was just me. Um, but Paul says... <laughs> oh, I think it's pretty common. <laughs> uh, but Paul says, uh, when it comes to the church putting Stumbling blocks, putting um, obstacles in the way of your brother and sister is no game, That's no laughing matter. We're talking about people loved by God for whom Jesus died and doing things that will cause... I think this is what Paul means by putting a stumbling block, doing things that will cause them spiritual harm. That will cause them spiritual harm. Paul says doing that is serious business, so his, his first kind of black and white advice for, these, for this church is, he says, here's what I want you to do, Roman church. Consciously decide not to do anything that will cause spiritual harm to a brother or sister in your church gathering. That's, I think that's what he's getting at when he says, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block in the way of a brother or sister. This idea of, It has to be a conscious kind of decision that you you make. Not something that would just happen by osmosis, but Paul says, no, consciously decide. Make up your mind. Here and now, as you're hearing this letter read out, make up your mind. Consciously decide not to put an obstacle, a stumbling block, in the way of a brother or sister. That's going to play out in a number of different ways. For the Christians in Rome, it's going to look a particular way. But underneath it, However it kind of plays out, underneath that decision is a commitment to each other, a commitment to each other's spiritual good, to seeing each other grow and flourish in Christ. Paul says, if you know everything in verse 1 to 12 that we looked at two weeks ago, if you know who you are, if you know what your identity is, if you know that you are in this church family, if you know that you are part of a miracle a miracle of God's grace. An extraordinary group of people who are chosen and loved and welcomed by God. If you know that your freedom isn't a kind of freedom to just do whatever you want, but it is a freedom in Christ to joyfully and willingly live your life as God's servants, then you'll be able to make up your mind to decide. Not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Uh, perhaps for you, that's not something that you've ever done consciously, um, whether or not it's uh, kind of maybe part of your more general makeup, but even just uh, to consciously decide that, that would be a good thing to do today, wouldn't it? To hear God's word and to put that in practice right away for yourself, in your own mind. It'll help you to know that there's more going on than simply being right. <laughs> in your relationships with each other. There's more going on. That's what Paul goes on to talk about, this next little section. Uh, Verse 14. "'I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love.'" Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. See what Paul's saying there? He knows that there is a right right and wrong here, actually, and and he he knows the strong have got it right. Um, Nothing is unclean. They are free to eat whatever they want. Um, Jewish people couldn't eat certain animals, as we saw before, they, and they couldn't eat meat with any blood within it, in it, sort of other kind of dietary requirements. Uh, but Paul knows that the Old Testament laws and customs were good in the time that God had them for, but they were signs pointing towards Jesus, pointing towards their fulfilment, and now that the fullness has come in Christ, they no longer apply to God's people. So that's good news. If you like your steak rare, right? Uh, so that is the truth of the matter. That is, and Paul knows that, that there is a truth here. But he also knows that this issue is not a central issue. This issue of how God's people were to relate to those customs and laws from the it's not a central issue. It's not a debate. It's not like a debate over whether Jesus rose from the dead, for instance. If it was, Paul would be fierce in defending it. Paul would have no, take no prisoners in defending that truth, that core reality. But Paul knows it's not a central issue. It's a disputable matter. And Paul says in these disputable matters, there's room for each person's conscience. If someone's conscience tells them that eating pork is unclean and a sin, even though it is not, objectively speaking... Then, if their conscience tells them that it is, then, it, then for them it is a sin, because if they were to eat it, they'd be eating against their conscience, and they would be uh, doing something that, for them, was against what God wanted. And Paul gets really stuck into the strong ones here. You notice that you can kind of picture the scene at the church lunch, right? Uh, the strong Christians bring along their pork rolls, knowing full well, knowing full well, that they're Jewish brothers and sisters, how they would feel about it. But they're right, and they look down on those weak ones, and they just need to get with the program, right? They need to get with their freedom in Christ, and we need to fix up their wrong theology. Do you know, isn't it interesting that that's not what Paul does here? Paul says, he kind of says, strong Christians... Um, You ones who, you're right about this, but you're so wrong in another way, in a very important way. Don't you realise what you're doing? You might be right in theory, but you are not acting in love. You're not acting in love. What's more, you are in danger of destroying someone for whom Christ died. God has so deeply loved this person who you... Have this disagreement with God has so deeply loved for them that Christ has died for them he has sent his son in their place and you can't give up a pork roll at lunch for them this is what Paul's kind of saying Paul wants us to feel how ridiculous that is that's why he kind of paints this huge you know what has God done for this person and you can't give up your pork roll well Uh, truth, conscience, and love. Paul kind of gets stuck into the the stronger brothers and sisters here. Uh, And then in verse 17, he gets to the heart of the matter. Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. That's a really important verse, particularly verse 17. What's going on here? Uh, um, If we've kind of read through Romans at this point, maybe there'll be some echoes of these words, righteousness, peace and joy. They kind of echo a really important passage in Romans 5, at the start of Romans 5. Um, Paul says at Romans 5, he's just gone through this amazing gospel of God's grace uh, through, uh, through faith in Jesus, how we are given a righteousness outside ourselves. And Paul says, "'Therefore, since we have been justified, "'since we've been made right through faith, "'we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, "'through whom we have gained access by faith "'into this grace in which we now stand. "'And we boast in the hope of the glory of God.'" Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If you're taking notes, the start of Romans 5. There's all these echoes there. And I think what Paul's saying here in Romans 14 is this whole letter has shown you what to fight over. This whole letter of Romans has shown you what what the core issues are. That's what God's kingdom is about, righteousness. The righteousness that is a gift from God. To his people through faith in Jesus. The righteousness that gives us peace with God and peace with each other. The joy that is ours because we know that God's love can never be taken away from us. Because the Holy Spirit has confirmed to our hearts that we are God's children. Romans 8. You see what Paul's saying here, friends? God's kingdom is about the gospel. God's kingdom is about the gospel. It's about the indisputable, glorious realities of Romans 1 to 11, really. It's not about eating and drinking. So Paul says, if the indisputable gospel is what has gripped your heart, if the core is what has captured you and is driving you, if God's righteousness and peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit are what is driving you, then the right response in verse 19 is to make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. That little word, or the words mutual edification, it's really important. It has the idea of a building, right? It's building each other up. If you see each other in the church as kind of buildings that we're in construction together with. Uh, That's really important, I think, because Paul's not saying this is a static thing. He's not saying uh, that the weak should stay weak. He's not saying that that... He does want them to come to maturity in their faith. He wants them to come to see their freedom in Christ, but he knows that you can't build someone up while you're despising them or while you're judging them. And... In these disputable matters, he knows that change comes through patient love and persuasion, not a kind of judgmental enforcing of your view. And that means giving up our rights for the sake of God's kingdom. Because we know that what's at stake isn't just me getting what I want, being able to eat what I want, we know what's at stake is the work of God. Verse 19, therefore, let us, uh, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. That is a sobering verse, isn't it? What is it that Paul sees will threaten God's work in the church? Some great attack from outside. No. What is it? Food. That's what he sees will just threaten to destroy God's work. It is an easy thing for a church to be destroyed over something as insignificant as food, and it happens. This and it happens when the gospel is not driving us. The gospel of God's kingdom is not driving us when we don't have the free gift of righteousness that brings us peace with God and with each other, when we don't have the joy of the Holy Spirit driving us, when that isn't our core, when the gospel is not what's driving us, disputable matters step in and can very easily take over. Paul says, with the gospel in mind, you strong ones, you strong ones, we've got to keep in mind this is the situation he's writing to, you strong ones who know you're right but aren't walking in love, who insist on your rights and in doing so cause someone else to stumble, if you've got God's kingdom and not yourself in your heart driving you, then wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be a very little thing? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be a very little thing to give up eating meat or to give up drinking wine if you knew that that would cause your brother or sister to stumble, I mean, wouldn't that just be a very little easy thing to do if it's the gospel of God's kingdom that is driving us, righteousness, um, joy, faith, grace, if those are the things that are at our core. Well, friends, there's more to this. There's so much more. And we have one more crack at this topic next week where Paul sort of Expands out even further. Um, he kind of expands from his his advice to these Christians about making up their mind and pursuing what will make for building each other up. Has one more thing and, and sort of expands out to the biggest picture, the glory of God that sits behind and underneath all of this. Uh, We've faced some particular issues. We've got to, as I said, keep in mind we're not uh, two thousand years ago in Rome. Our issues aren't the same. Uh, as far as i 'm aware, um, but it would be helpful to know actually, but as far as i 'm aware um, there 's no one in our church the, the, the bringing pork rolls to our church lunches is not going to be an issue right as far as that 's not our issue, so you don 't need to worry about that um, but if it were an issue, if we were to have recent Jewish converts among us or Muslim converts come and join us uh, wouldn 't that be i mean that would be an interesting kind of moment, wouldn't it? To say, oh, of course, of course you would give up even your most beloved food for the sake of that brother or sister, that weaker brother or sister. We flagged some similar issues last time, things over which Christians disagree but aren't central to the Gospel. Um, Paul's black and white advice for, for those kind of grey areas, and we, we flagged a few last time, Uh, what you make of different disputable issues through the Bible, how you understand different parts uh, that aren't central. Uh, Paul's black and white advice for these grey areas can really be applied, though, to any situation in any church. So I just want to give us an opportunity together, as God's people gathered under his word today, to hear God's word through his apostle written to these Christians 2,000 years ago, but just as kind of relevant for us. Uh, I want to give us an opportunity to hear it fresh and to take it to heart together. Uh, Friends, will you today resolve yourself in your mind, make up your mind, not to put a stumbling block in the way of a brother or sister, to have that kind of sensitivity to each other that expresses itself in self-giving love, that doesn't insist on our own way, but that sees ourselves as caught up in God's kingdom, Uh, that sees ourselves as being driven not by our preferences, not by the things that so easily grab our attention, but by the gospel, the glorious gospel of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Will you hear Paul's teaching about what God's kingdom is really about? And will you let that overwhelm all the other things that are important and that it's right to have, as Paul, we saw last time, it's right for us each to make up our own minds about. We're not saying that they're not important at all. But they're not what drives us. The best protection for us against this kind of division that was plaguing the Roman church, the best protection for us is to keep the gospel of God's wonderful grace at our core, to keep it the thing that we think about and talk about and that drives us as a church family. So will you let that gospel overflow in your life so that it will shape you to make every effort to do what leads to peace and building each other up, uh, to have a special place for the weaker brother or sister and perhaps even um, uh, not only weaker in their faith, um, but um, what we long for as a church, to have that special place for uh, the young ones among us. Will you let the gospel... Will you respect the conscience of your brother and sister without judging or despising them? And will you instead live in love toward each other well, friends, it's 500 years since the Reformation this year. Uh, we're going to have a, um, after we finish Romans, I'm looking forward to preaching five weeks, a series on the what's known as the, the Solas of the Reformation, although apparently I heard this week that technically, if you know Latin, it should be the Sole of the Reformation, but don't worry about that. Um, the Solas of the Reformation, the Reformation 500 years ago, Uh, Five really important theological realities that drove the Reformation. The issue of freedom was one that was front and centre for them. It was central in the Reformation. The Reformers recaptured the reality of the freedom of the Gospel. uh, The incredible free gift of righteousness that doesn't need to be earned through what you do, but is just received through faith in Christ. Christ. The gospel gives the freedom that this world longs for, but the reformers knew that this freedom didn't just lead to each one individually pursuing whatever they wanted. It was a freedom from slavery to sin and into a joyful and willing service of God and his people and the world. Um, the kind of guy who was at the spearhead of that great movement, which we'll hear more about in a few weeks, Martin Luther, he famously captured this in a little book, he wrote called The Freedom of a Christian. Uh, If you're looking for a good book to read in the 500th year of the Reformation, that would be my kind of top pick, probably. Martin Luther, The Freedom of a Christian. He starts with this. He says this uh, quote that's up on the screen there. Uh, These two things that are both true and that both need to shape how we relate to each other. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none, Luther goes into great lengths to show how that's true through Jesus. You are free, subject to none. You, have been, you are a child of God. You're not captive to the demands of people around you, on you. You are totally free, Lord of all, subject to none. And at the same time, a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all, both of them true. Um, That's what Paul's getting at here. The freedom that the the gospel brings us into is a freedom to serve each other willingly and joyfully, to give up ourselves for the sake of God's kingdom, which is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and faith and freedom and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we do pray you'll you'll help us. We we pray for your wisdom to understand and apply, to sit humbly under your word, we pray for us as a church family, Father, that, you will, um, that the unity that is already ours in Christ, uh, that unity that you have won for us in Jesus, will be more and more increasingly evident among us as we keep what drives you at our centre, as we keep the things that the kingdom of God is about, the righteousness that comes by faith, the peace that we have with God and with each other, the joy that you give through your Holy Spirit. Uh, Father, we pray that those things will be what drive us and that you'll help all the other things to find their place under that. Uh, Give us wisdom to know what things are important to think through and what things are just issues of preference. Give us humility and um, give us, Father, the freedom also to, we pray, to um, repent where we need to, uh, to have that kind of gracious
1: welcoming heart to each other.
0: And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.